Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our next episode of Calm is Hot, short for Communication is Hot. I have a very special guest with us today. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Um, my name is Julie Olive, and my pronouns are she, her. I know Jade because we didn't go to grad school at the same time, right? But we like our cohorts overlapped. And so we met in grad school when I was in grad school. We go all the way back to grad school. <laughs> it's so um, fun. Yeah. So I guess a little bit about me. I also uh, studied communication and I have been teaching communication courses since I was in grad school. Uh, and then I graduated and moved all the way across the country to Virginia. I'm in Charlottesville, Virginia right now because my partner is getting his PhD at University of Virginia. So I hitched my wagon in his and I moved across the country right before the pandemic hit. I've been teaching in some capacity ever since I graduated high school. So it hasn't always been full-time for me, but it, it was full-time for a little bit and COVID. It, it was, it's been hard because classes have been canceled and it's been a little bit as everybody knows a little bit chaotic but I've been I've been teaching in some capacity since then mainly teach public speaking out here I also taught you know communication at SF State my biggest interest I found when I got to SF State or grad school I don't know if you want to say state or grad school when I got to grad was rhetoric and persuasion and there's a lot of reasons why but I fell in love with it. I think today I want to talk about a really specific, one of the biggest influences of why I fell in love with that area of communication. Because as you know, there's a lot of different areas of communication, but this is my, the one that I like, just, I love. So yeah, that's who I am. Look at it. You are absolutely beautiful, intelligent, just like such a beautiful energy that I love and I miss. When we would pass each other, like through the hallways, I would always get so excited seeing you. That's so kind because that's so kind of you. I honestly feel like I was intimidated, not in a bad way, but like so intimidated by how smart everybody in your cohort was that I honestly felt like whenever I interacted with so many of you, I felt like such a best. <laughs> so kind of you to say that. I do not feel like I was radiating any sort of anything but anxiety, but it's very nice of you to say, because I genuinely, I mean, like, you know, I'm sure what you were seeing was a genuine, like, desire to connect with you, because you're awesome as well. You're awesome, and I think this is so powerful, this openness that you're sharing, because I think so many of us, now, you don't have to identify yourself in any way that you don't want to, right, for our listeners, but I think for me, being, like, trans, of Middle Eastern descent. Like I've got some of these marginalized identities that I carry with me in these academic spaces that I didn't really ever experience as a student. I never had a trans instructor. I never had an instructor of Middle Eastern descent that who I could relate with ethnically, culturally. <laughs> and so I never fully, fully felt like academia was for me. I never fully felt like I fit in. And so I carried that anxiety. And I know that I'm speaking to something different but I want to relate in the way that like, I think all of us, well, I don't want to speak for everyone, but a lot of people in my cohort mm -hmm. 
were overcompensating for insecurities and we were overachievers because we really wanted to just fit in. And a lot of us felt like we didn't. Yeah. And the, fa the fact that you called attention to that just reminds me like, oh, I should say something because so many people in so many different jobs, industries, yeah. et cetera, I think do this. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's like, no, a lot of us are all struggling with anxiety. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I'm so grateful for you. I just want to hug you. See, well, that is, I mean, you're right. You're so right. I mean, it's hard. Ac academia is hard, but you know what? Like, it's so funny how it's so difficult for a bunch of different reasons, for all of those reasons you just listed, but it's also like amazing and freeing and radical in the place that really I felt I became the person I wanted to be when I was younger especially after my experience with what we're going to talk about today, with what I wanted to talk about today, which is my experience with the evangelical American Christian church. So yeah, going from that to academia was certainly for, I know it's not for everybody, for me, the worlds couldn't have been more different. <laughs> um, so I wanted to talk about that today, and I hope that anybody who's listening, whether it's your students or my students or communication colleagues, I hope that, you know, religion is a hard thing to talk about in, in, in secular life because of a lot of different reasons. But I think because we're taught there should be a separation, uh, and there should be, and religion is really private for a lot of people, and there's rights involved and privacy involved, but that's why I think this is a great like platform to bring something like that up because it's not the same as bringing it up in a classroom where things can get a little dicey and it offers a place for conversation that is really unique. So thanks for letting me talk about this today. Of course. And I love that you are willing to, and for so many reasons that you've listed, people are uncomfortable talking about religion in academic spaces, in public spaces, in virtual spaces, because it is so deeply intimate to people. Yeah. They don't want to come across as offensive. Right. And I think one of the things that I do is encourage my students to think about religion as a part of people's core identity for a lot of people that as you know, and probably also to teach when we're talking about identity and how we develop our core values and how we communicate and why we communicate the way we, we do. I get a little edgy in my class and I'm like, we have to acknowledge religion and we have to attribute things that trickle out of that. Right. And, and call it what it is. So I'm like, if any religion is negatively impacting someone else's livelihood, body, access to basic human rights or decency or dignity. Right. I get a little too confident in class. And sometimes I'm reminded I can't be as passionate as I want to be. I have to tiptoe around certain areas. But for the most part, I'm like, listen, I'm going to call this what it is. And I'm going to no. blame religion. <laughs> I mean, okay, so I did listen to your first episode of you kind of establishing what your podcast is about. And you said something that I remember Dr. Kilgard saying, which is like, safe spaces, they're pretty much impossible to guarantee in a classroom. And you prefer the phrase 
brave space. You said that in your first episode, right? I may have. I also put like an infographic about it. Yes. Yes, I think it was one of those. Maybe I'm getting them mixed up. Either way, you posted it. And that is so on point. Like, we can't ever guarantee safety in the world anywhere. Your passion is just an example of, of, of being brave in class. And maybe our students sometimes step on our toes too, right? I don't think you have to apologize for anything. I think we should be able to be brave and talk about these things. Yeah. This is why I freaking love you. <laughs> okay. On this note, being brave, are we ready to move forward? Yeah. So my first question for you is a little lighthearted and fun before we get into the serious stuff. <laughs> what is something your friends don't know that might surprise them? I, yes, this is a good question. Some of my friends might know this, but very few because for some reason it's like slightly embarrassing. I'm obsessed with ASMR. Obsessed. I like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm obsessed with ASMR. Like I listen to it every day. Um, I, can you tell folks what ASMR is? I can. Yes, I can. So if you don't know what ASMR is, it's an uh, acronym. It stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. That's a, it's a fancy name for this phenomenon that happens to a lot of different people where when they listen to really relaxing sounds like someone whispering, it doesn't even have to be whispering. Sometimes it's just soft, rhythmic, some, someone teaching something. Being scraped or... Yeah, those can maybe like scroll through Instagram and you see people, the soap, the soap videos or the tapping videos. I get like tingles, you know, on my scalp and my like whole body. And it's really just generally relaxing. So I really love ASMR. <laughs> I grew up in a family that had really traditional Catholic roots. So my mom is Filipino and my dad grew up Catholic. He's white and they grew up in the Catholic church, very involved. My dad was like altar boy. And if you're Philippine, the Philippines is, is predominantly Catholic. So they were Catholic. I didn't grow up Catholic though. They chose to raise us in the Methodist church, which is, uh, I've heard it described as the Catholic version of Protestant Christianity. So it's still very traditional, still what some folks might think of when they think of quote unquote church, the word church. So wooden pews, hymnals, very traditional services, that kind of thing. So no, as opposed to what I'm going to talk about today, which is my involvement in American like evangelical church, which in my experience, was very far from that. So and as opposed to like singing hymns and having like a children's moment, it was like a full-blown band on stage, on a stage with lights and literally fog machines. So definitely a different. But I grew up in the Methodist church and I, with a religious family, with religious values, I learned the Bible at a young age uh, to read the Bible and it was never a question in my upbringing. That was the way to live your life. I can honestly remember being like seven, eight years old and praying and like really just like hoping within my heart, like I would like hear God talk back to me. So from a really young age, I had a curiosity about it. But then I grew up and my family stopped going to church and 
I, in middle school and high school, was incredibly anxious and depressed and to a really bad extent, really insecure. I wouldn't say I was like severely bullied, but I am a fat person and I have always been fat. And that was a really big part of it too. Very insecure about my body. Looking back on it now, a lot of it was, I want to say quote unquote typical, like teenage woes, but there was also a lot of mental health issues that I think went unaddressed as a teenager for me. I want to say maybe a sophomore in high school. I had a friend who invited me to like a youth group on Wednesday night and I really liked her and I wanted to be friends with her. She was cool. And so I went and that's when my whole journey with the evangelical church started. I went to this church. I'm not going to name the church in this podcast because this church is now very large. (laughs) I really don't doubt, I don't think anything bad would happen to it or they would try and like do anything to me. I feel like if anyone is really interested in it, they could probably figure it out <laughs> based on some clues that we'll talk I'm about. Never obligated to disclose anything you don't want to. Thank you. So I went and like I said, there was a band on a stage with lights and a fog machine. There was like a lot of people there. Everybody who was on the stage was like attractive and thin and talented really cool pastor had like tattoos and i was like like a rock show yes and i was like what is like what this is church like what is happening i was hooked i was super hooked from the moment i walked in the the thing that got me hooked was a lot of different things but initially when i think back to that time in my life it was because i was entering a space where people were really cool And I wanted to be cool. I also wanted to be part of that cool group. It was a big distraction from how I was feeling on the inside. I was there. I very quickly became converted to a version of Christianity that I hadn't before. I got baptized. For those of you who may not know, baptism is essentially just a ceremony where Christians decide to dedicate their lives to Jesus and they're dumped under some water. Some churches do it differently, but that's what I did. I was baptized and I became really very quickly involved in leadership in the church. I also was a musician my whole life and I was in choir and everything like that. And they would hold like auditions for people to be on the worship team. So I auditioned, they were like, come and sing for us. And very quickly within a year, I was singing on the worship team and I became involved. And when you're on the worship team, at least in my experience, you became involved in leadership as well and with the pastors and in leadership as well. Essentially, a lot of things happened in that time. I won't say that the whole experience was bad because that's not the truth. The truth is that I made friends that I'm still friends with today who are some of the best friends that I've ever had, who I love like with all my heart. And honestly, even though I went through a lot of things and went through a crisis of identity and a loss of faith, eventually I would honestly, truthfully go through it again if it meant that I would come out with those same friends just because that's how much I love them. So I don't want it to sound to anybody like I'm just like so bitter and angry with this experience or for anyone who may be from that church who stumbles upon this podcast. That's just not true. I'm really thankful for a lot of things that I went through during that time. I'm sorry to interrupt. I feel like for me, it's okay for you to to share and talk about 
experiences that involved both trauma and yeah. joy. Yeah. I think, I think that'll be really relatable to a lot of people. I mean, ultimately, because of those two things, that's what made leaving so hard for me eventually. It, you're welcome to share any specific stories um, or experiences, bad, good, both, anything in between. We've just talked about the joy and the trauma, and you've definitely mentioned the joy of connecting, fitting in, making friends. Are you comfortable shifting to maybe the more yeah. not so good stuff? Yes. So for me, um, a lot of it was good until it was good. <laughs> I graduated high school, still fully Christian, still dedicated to this church. I stayed home, so I didn't move away to college. I went to community college. So there was a, what they called an internship program that they had at this church where when you were graduating high school, you could, which is, this is not how internships work now that I know this, but you would pay to basically volunteer at the church for a year. <laughs> and, you know, I think the amount, honestly, I don't know what it was anymore because frankly, I didn't even end up paying the whole thing. <laughs> and that's because of, you know, a lot of different things. I think it was maybe somewhere on two to $3,000 for a year long internship. So the things that you get paid for were like these classes that you ended up taking. Okay. So this is where things started to slowly start to shift away. I was in college, my first year out of high school, going to community college. At this point in my life, I fully wanted to study theology. I wanted to go to college and study the Bible. I wanted to be a pastor. I wanted my whole life to be involved in the church. But I wanted to go to community college first because it's a great option for people who are looking to save money. We started a community. Yeah, it's honestly, it's great. I teach at a community college right now and we love community college. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. It will play a more important role in my leaving on the church. I'm in my first year of community college, but I'm also doing this quote unquote internship program where I'm spending my mornings going to these classes that are talking about things like the Bible, like light theology. So we would study the Bible, but we'd also study things like, oh, there was a class called family and relationships. There's also a period of time where like after the classes, we would volunteer at like the local food shelter that they had, where they like gave food to people who needed it in the community, which is great. But I, we started the, that program with a big camping trip and we hiked up Mount Lee, which is in I think it's in central California somewhere, but it's, it's not quite to Yosemite, but it's on the way to Yosemite. We went on this week long hike with the group of interns that I was with and things sort of the, my first, I think now I've heard people say like, ick, you get like an ick in your stomach. There's like something inside of you. That's like, this is not sitting right with me was we were on the trip and we're hiking and it was great. It's beautiful in that area. And then it started to pour freezing rain and we were on our, I think, second day of the trip and the vast majority of us were unprepared for that weather and we were really uncomfortable and we stopped and we like tried to wait for the rain to stop and the pastor, the, the guy who was in, in charge of our program, essentially laughed at our faces when we even suggested that we would, we would like stop and go back. And Obviously, I'm fine. I was able to hike up the mountain and, you know, did the whole thing. Not, and I'll never do it again because I'm not a camping person. But that was my first sign of like, oh, that was a little intense. <laughs> it's very clear that the vast majority of us, all of us, 
most of us were young people, 18, 19, 20 years old, and unprepared for this literal physical challenge. And he was just like, no, what are you talking about? Everybody does it. On that trip, the other ick moment I had was, honestly, saying this is so wild now because I can't believe that this happened, but it was like the middle of the night in the mountains, okay? I'm talking like one in the morning, pitch black, it's not a city. And this pastor decided to take us back on the bus. So we hadn't really gotten to the mountain. We were still near a campground and near our bus and driving up to one of these, like kind of, it was a road right to the campsite and driving out to away from our campsite and kind of park in this little inlet. And he told us, I feel like none of you are taking this seriously. And what you're going to do right now is I'm going to turn on worship music and you are going to cry out to God until feel like you guys are taking this seriously we're not going back to the campsite (laughs) and this it was cold like so cold it was like two in the morning pitch black he turns on and he blasts the music and he blasts the music and we spread out in the area that we have i just remember sitting cross-legged facing away from the bus and i just started to cry because i was like this is wrong. I knew inside of me that that was super weird and it felt like a power play and that didn't sit right with me. I just felt like that was so wrong. There were people who in our group who um, were very small people who weren't adequately prepared for something like that, who were sleeping, were then woken up. Like it was very strange. Looking back on that, it's clear to me that that hike I don't know if they do it anymore but was was meant to break us and when I really look back on that from my perspective now it was incredibly wrong it was meant to build trust in a really manipulative way so we obviously went back to the campsite hiked the mountain went back home I'm sure our our friends listening are like what the heck? <laughs> and I, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge and affirm the fact that you just shared a traumatic experience with us. I know that you and I have a relationship where I can kind of name that in the moment. I think most of the times I try to avoid, whoa, that sounds traumatic. <laughs> but I want to check in and ask with you, like, how are you feeling after reliving and sharing this? You know what is really kind of sad is that I don't feel... There are other experiences that I had that I went through that register worse on the scale in terms of of trauma with this church. When I retell that story, I've told it to a couple people. It it is wrong. It was wrong. And it was really weird. And like, I don't think we were really in danger. I want to have faith that this person wasn't going to let us run off in the woods alone or something. When I retell it now to the couple people who I have told, it kind of is just one of these, like, it almost makes me laugh. And I don't want to discredit my the experience that I had or that, like, the people I went through had. Because there are people I did that internship with now who look back on that experience and are like, what the hell was that? <laughs> it is such a clear example of this is not a normal behavior that an organization does to a group of people. It's almost like hazing. For those of you who don't know what hazing is, 
Maybe you do. Like traditionally it's done with sororities and fraternities when they're having, initiating new members out of the group. It can be as innocent as like, oh, everybody has to wear pajamas to class on Friday, which is a really innocent thing, right? But this was an example of something that I felt like was a little more on the extreme end, which was meant to really kind of break us down and, and humble us. Yeah, dying. I'm, I'm dying to add, but this is your story to tell. You know how we study power mm-hmm. as a critical pedagogy, critical scholarship? You called attention to that earlier, and I wanted to re-call attention to it. This person was in a position of power Mm -hmm. and they used coercion. Yes. And they used horrible tactics. They used force to be so gross. And I I can't comprehend that you had to deal with that, let alone that it was affiliated with an organization that you were supposed to be able to find safety peace, comfort, hope, a sense of self, belonging. And that person being in that position of power, that is so gross. That is such a violation and abuse of that position of power. It's, I'm sorry, I just wanted to. No, that's your, you're 100% correct. For being really horrible. Yeah. And when I really think back to all of the things that led to me finally saying this is enough, Every single one of them is related to somebody in a position of power abusing that power and using it to manipulate or coerce somebody or just to make them feel terrible. There was that example. I went through the program. I finished the program. When I was in the program, there was a couple of other things that made me feel uncomfortable that were taught to us or told we were told that that's how we were supposed to be. And the thing that I want to emphasize is the rhetoric is really tricky here. So I want to kind of go back to and focus on the fact that I joined this church because I was insecure, depressed, anxious, and I was looking for a community of people. I found that and it was great. I had the foundations there for me already. I grew up in a Christian home. So the persuading me to believe in the Bible of God and Jesus was not so hard for them, for this group of people. And it's not so hard for them to convince a lot of people who are who grow up in our culture in the United States, which is, um, you know, very heavily Judeo-Christian. So that's how I was lived in. The other theme that I think was really harmful to me when I went to this church was the contradiction between their welcoming lines and the practice of those things. This church in particular in the American Evangelical Church is really focused on this doctrine of grace, acceptance, God is for everybody. You don't have to be perfect to come to God. That is how I was brought in the door initially. And then when I started to become more of a, like somebody who went every week, a member, in order to maintain your authenticity as a Christian, even though they say that it's about grace, it's not about being perfect. If you don't start to follow these rules, these values, there becomes a tension there between you and the leadership. So that's really what started to happen for me internally first and then uh, externally. So in this internship program I went through, there were some classes, specifically the family and relationships class that really made me uncomfortable. We were taught in that class a very strict, very 
conservative version of what the quote unquote biblical way to get married and have a family was. Of course, it's pretty obvious that it's a heterosexual relationship. It's not even a question. If you are anywhere outside of the bounds of heterosexuality, then you are living outside of God's word. And that topic in particular was approached in in a very tricky way. I remember somebody asking about that. Like, I have gay friends. I have queer friends. What am I supposed to tell them when, you know, I'm hanging out with them or they want me to meet their partner and they're queer? The way that it was addressed to us was that, well, of course you want to love them, but it's not quote unquote God's best. So it's not your people who are not heterosexual are living outside of the biblical narrative, which really goes against this version of authenticity that when you want to maintain and be a part of the in-group and be approved by these people who you are so impressed by, you want their approval. Obviously, if you have any feelings like that, that's, you know, that's going to be a problem. Can I add, I think it is so disheartening to hear this, but I'm not surprised because I grew up with this. I grew up with religion. I grew up with these same messages, the same messaging. And I think many people, regardless of what religion they practice, Islam, Christianity, I don't care. All of the religions in the world at some point have people in these positions of power mm-hmm. who basically enforce their own ideology. Right. Right. Like I, my family left a broken country that became very radicalized and mm-hmm. Old Testament is long. Yeah. Like it is so disheartening yeah. to know that this is still happening. Yes. And it's also not surprising at all, right? We'll love and accept you as long as you're like this. Right. Gross. I'm sorry. No, it is gross. Totally manipulative and gross about it is that they would, you know, they would, they say things that just logically put them and make them feel like they're okay. So for example, another argument that I've heard people say is like, well, I can love you. That doesn't mean I have to approve of your cool choices. That from the get, when I was a young person, just didn't, never sat right with me. I have always had queer friends out of queer family and looking back on it there isn't a some amount of shame that was like why didn't I just see that from the get-go I think I've let go of a lot of that shame because I was young and a lot of that was privileged I identify as a straight person and I never had to deal with that specific type of trauma religious trauma when it comes to my sexuality so it did, you know, my experience with that was always like, I feel like that's wrong in terms of my values and beliefs. I personally never had to struggle with that. And so I do want to acknowledge that people who are in the LGBTQIA plus community, if you get anything out of this episode, it's that I don't know personally, but I know that you are dealing with a lot of things. We have a beautiful, accepting family, which is awesome. But I know so many people seek out these communities and these churches because they want to feel like they belong. And, you know, I'm not going to say that there's no such thing as like queer Christians. There's queer churches. There's affirming and accepting churches, which I think is really awesome. It's just scary to me when 
the rhetoric that is used to bring people into the building, not just bring them in the building, but also get their money through tithing, you know, get their membership and, and get them to become a member of the church is so bait and switch. So that's the main thing. I almost want to just say, please be aware of that, that of a bait and switch. Be weary of people who claim to want you and love you but are not going to do so fully and completely as you are and not call something like your sexuality a sin. Just be weary of that. I, I think it's really easy to get caught up in that. So can I ask you to elaborate for listeners who maybe have studied rhetoric less, yeah. bait and switch. You've given tons of examples, mm-hmm. but just very quickly kind of reemphasizing. Yeah. Yes. So a bait and switch is a rhetorical strategy used to pull somebody in with words so for in this example with the values of like affirmation of love we love you no matter what god loves you and accepts you he's there he forgives you and pull somebody in always a he right right so many things this could you know be a four-hour conversation (sighs) but pulls you in with these really enticing messages Sometimes those messages even prey on insecurities. They prey on prejudices and fears and they pull you in. And then once you're in and you feel comfortable, it switches. It switches to being um, exactly what I was saying. So we love you, but this thing has to change if you really want to live and be a true Christian and be a true pride swallower. So that's really what a bait and switch is. And it's traumatic. It's incredibly traumatic for people. Another way that we, that I experienced bait and switch and I saw it experienced in some of my friends' lives and really the thing that got me to leave permanently was those that we would be involved in the church for a while and trusted. We get to know these people and these pastors, these head pastors who, by the way, I don't think I've, I've emphasized this. These churches are very large in number. When I was going almost 10 years ago, the church I was going to had maybe anywhere between two and 5,000 people come into these services every weekend. So they went and they had multiple services combined at the Saturday service, plus all the Sunday ones. They also have multiple, what they call campuses, which is a fun choice of words in different areas. So they had a main location and then they had other locations in the area. And so as large, large churches, this leadership that you get involved with can feel and appear like celebrities, many celebrities to people who are not so close to them. What they would say to that is like, well, who are we to stop people from coming to our church and experiencing something great? I add. Yep. I also witnessed some of my relatives go to a mega church Mm -hmm. growing up, and it was a Christian-based mega church. Mm -hmm. And they would host get-rich workshops. God will bless you with money literal conventions and the pastor lived in a triple gated community mm-hmm. he was so freaking wealthy yeah. and everyone considered him and his family celebrities in our small right. town it was disgusting that's not shocking to me that that's a pattern you see at a lot of these american evangelical institutions yes i, I mean i don't i don't know everything about the head pastor's life and 
But I do know, I saw with my own eyes, that even back then, they're driving Porsches to church. Meanwhile, there's people on their worship team that are homeless. Literally. Hashtag blessed. Yeah. Get away with that mentally because they preach the doctrine of like prosperity and that God doesn't hate money. He hates greed. And so therefore they get, a, you know, there's a loophole there for a lot of people. Not one the list of other things that I found uncomfortable. That's one of them for sure. So the bait and switch happens rhetorically, like we just talked about, but it also happens interpersonally, unfortunately. What happened to me, I watched it happen to dozens of people that I went to church with that I respected. I don't want to tell other people's story. I'll just tell what happened to me. I went through the internship program. I was on the worship team. I would be serving sometimes four times in a weekend for free. By the way, this is volunteer work. Singing and, and being in front of thousands of people. And I got really depressed because there started to be these questions in my mind of like, what the, there are all these contradictions and I feel comfortable with them. But the final thing was I started dating somebody who was not Christian. And I hid it from everybody in my life. I literally told nobody. And the reason why is because I knew already what they would say. Well, this person is a Christian. Could you really see yourselves marrying somebody who's not a Christian? And honestly, at the, at the time, I just wanted to date someone. I wasn't even thinking that far ahead. I just thought I just wanted to date someone. According but there was religion, right? We got to get you set up for like marriage and pop yes. kids out because yes. religion. Sorry, sorry. People are full and multiply, right? So I didn't tell anybody about this person that I was dating and I had so much guilt and shame for it. And <laughs> looking back on it, I'm like, why? Why did I have any guilt and shame? It was so ridiculous. Dating is completely <laughs> normal. Like, anyway, uh, but I felt a lot of shame for it because, you know, I wasn't like living up to these Christian ideals of what a Christian relationship should look like. And so I hid that. I emailed the worship team uh, maybe a couple months into our relationship that I had at that time. And I took myself off the schedule and I didn't explain why, but I wasn't lying when I said that I was experiencing a lot of doubt and depression at the time. And I stopped going to church and nobody even noticed. And that was really hurtful to me. But that did feel like the bait and switch because I had been led to believe for years a couple of years then that these people really cared about me, really wanted the best for me. But as soon as I stopped serving a purpose for them, nobody even spoke to me, not one person, at least from the leadership. I had friends, of course, but we were kind of going through the same thing. There was a couple of things that happened to them at the same time. I had friends who went through way worse circumstances, illnesses and deaths and really terrible things and received the same kind of treatment. And it's really, really unfortunate. And I watched them go through that interpersonal bait and switch. And that was, that was what did it for me. I left. And yeah, it was really hard. It was really hard because at that time, I still believed in God and I still considered myself a Christian. And so I blamed myself for a lot of it, uh, unfortunately. But now looking back, I know why I blamed myself. And that's because the rhetoric that I had been fed when I was in the church about people who leave the church is that it's on them. They have a bitterness that they need to settle. Nobody's perfect. They need to be forgiving of people who offend them. And that if you're living in bitterness, then that's your fault. 
And I thought there was something wrong with me for a long time until, until I started to hear other people go through the same thing. And that plus I started to learn about rhetoric and power. Back a couple of moments ago when I said that community college started to play a role in it, I started to learn about rhetoric and persuasion and things started to click with me. Like, oh, this is what they were saying. And so that's what made me fall in love with the field is because I started to realize all of these things that I had been going through are not new. They're just not. doesn't make the experience invalid, but there was something comfort, comforting about knowing that, that it wasn't my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. And that's what happened when I left. When I left, I ended up, it was really first the break in interpersonal relationships that did it for me. The lack of caring about whether or not I showed up. I mean, I just feel like if you have a friend and you have a routine that you establish with each other, you see each other every weekend, and then that person just stops showing up. Normally, any normal friend would call you, text, are you okay? Like, doing all right, but nobody ever did. So that happened first. There's a kind of a phrase that has been floating around for people who've kind of gone through this experience of leaving the church called deconstruction. Some of you may have heard of that. Some of you may not, but, but the the phrase, there's a large community of people who've been going through this in the past couple of years that have found each other on the internet. And it's really beautiful and awesome. And the phrase that a lot of us use is like, we deconstructed because the building of who you become really is a construction of a bunch of different things at play. So when you go through this, this deconversion, um, it also comes with a lot of other things as well. It's not just the like basic tenets of the faith that that have left me personally. It's also the other things that I got rid of. Internalized shame. I'll speak for myself. Those are the two biggest ones I've had to work on deconstructing. Yes. My entire adult life. Yes. It is so, it's so hard when it's been a part of your life for so long. And then you're like, no, I'm not going to feel guilt or shame about this. I'm not bitter. I just am using logic and reason. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Shame and guilt are really powerful. They're really powerful tools that people, whether they think they are doing it or not, the people, this is where I, I don't want anyone to think that I'm bashing on somebody's spiritual beliefs because ultimately at the end of the day, I remember being that person and I know how long it took me to come to the conclusion that I didn't want to pray to a God who could allow so many terrible things to happen. That is where I ended up. There's a lot of people who don't end up there and that's fine. That's totally fine. That's not the problem. What the problem is is when people in power abuse that power and manipulate others to serve them, that there's a big difference between having spiritual beliefs and somebody weaponizing those against you. So yeah, shame and fear and guilt really powerful and I think it's so insidious the way that they work because we're told and we may we're made to feel that we're the only ones experiencing those feelings of shame and guilt and that's just not true every single person experiences that because of the world we live in and for a myriad of different reasons and they really can only be fixed when we expose them for what they are which is a total lie (laughs) 
Ah, I'm so sorry that I keep interrupting you. No, I'm sorry. I've left to hear from more. I feel like I'm talking too much. So <laughs> you're the special person of the hour. So of course you get to talk as much as you want. I think it's also exciting because you just are so forthcoming and so honest and authentic and vulnerable and you're not hiding and you're like, this is my story and I'm going to tell it. And that's what this podcast is really about. So I deeply appreciate you for being open and willing to do that and share you and this part of you. And I think that you've mentioned it multiple times. Your intent is not to offend anyone. Yeah. And I want to echo that. I want to be very clear. I brought up Islam being weaponized against my own family mm -hmm. um, and millions of people around the world. But I also recognize that just like Islam, just like Christianity, just like all the religions, yeah. there are beautiful people practicing them who are not weaponizing right. them and right. who are not trying to wield power and take control of people's lives or mm -hmm. livelihood. And I think that you and I in this context are specifically talking about, as you have just said, <laughs> The people who start abusing these positions of power. Yes. And I mean, I am, I, you know, there are so many stories of people experiencing really, really terrible things at the hands of people in power. I mean, sexual abuse, financial abuse, manipulation. I think one of the which again, not to invalidate my experience or others' experience, but I, I just want to say that no matter what your experience is, if somebody in a position of power is doing something essentially to serve themselves and not you or their organization and not you, that's a problem in any capacity. I think there's, I don't, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but one thing else I, I told myself I would mention, so is that I think what we're seeing right now is, and not just now, it's always been this way, but specifically because of COVID, there's a political aspect to this conversation as well. So the church that I used to go to recently, the pastor made some really disparaging um, remarks about COVID and being vaccinated. And I don't want to go into too much detail because there are some people involved that, I, you know, I don't have their permission to share their story, but basically... Some people called them out for it and it has become a discussion online. And I think when, it, when we're talking about rhetoric and manipulation and using these viewpoints against someone, there's, this is a perfect example of that. So the pastor, I did listen to the sermon and this is public information, so I, I'm not like lying. Before he began his sermon, he was talking about how him and his wife were trying, it's obviously ridiculous. Him and his wife were turned away at a fancy restaurant in Napa because they couldn't share the vaccination cards. He then compared that experience to being segregated and discriminated against. Imagine thinking that you can't go to a fancy restaurant in Napa is the same as experiencing violence, persecution, and oppression. Privilege. Can't, can't relate. So there's a, that's a perfect example. There's a literal pandemic happening. People, I'm sure of it. At this point, this church has grown. I think the goal of a lot of these evangelical churches is to grow. The church has grown to probably, I'd be yes, yes. I'd be comfortable saying they, they moved to a new location. They built a huge campus on this huge swath of land that you literally cannot even miss when you're driving down Interstate 80 in Northern California. 
and they have multiple campuses throughout the West Coast. I would be comfortable saying that they probably have 10,000 members at this point when you combine it all. So when, so knowing that, we know just based on logic that there are certainly people in that church who have either died of COVID, who have, who have had COVID, who have been negatively impacted by COVID in terrible, irreversible ways. And to know that a lead pastor is getting up on stage and being so cavalier and nonchalant, it's just evidence to me that nothing has really changed. In fact, it's probably gotten a little worse with the political climate that we live in. And I think that that's disgusting. It's, it's really, it, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. That kind of rhetoric has always been dangerous, especially for queer and trans people of color. It's dangerous in, in a medical sense. There are people who will not get vaccinated because their pastor is not necessarily saying that it's a bad thing, but being very specific about his attitude towards it. It's very condescending. It's very sneaky. I wanted to mention that because, you know, this church is not the only one making their stance clear on vaccinations, which is they're very anti-vaccination, very much pretending that COVID is not real. And that's just false. That's a problem. And it's dangerous. It's, it's literally dangerous. I know that a lot of them are just defying orders and having church with thousands of people without masking, not caring. My heart breaks for people who went to that, who go to that church, who go to any church and love the, the leadership and want to be a part of that community. And then they experience something like this and it becomes evidently clear that their best interest is really not in mind, unfortunately. Um, You're holding so much compassion for the people who are trying to navigate that sense of belongingness, that sense of peace and comfort in religion and in their faith in a specific place like a church. Mm -hmm. You are holding so much compassion for them. And I would call that empathy. Yeah. I want to call attention to that. That's one of the reasons I really genuinely love you as a person. I'm I'm so angry right now in this moment. And you are still offering compassion. I'm like, how? I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm very angry at the people. Like, it's it, it keeps me up at night sometimes when I think about the abuse of power that happens. The reason why I get so angry is because I don't think anybody should be made to feel stupid or dumb simply because they want to find community. It is like the most human thing, the most human thing. We all want to be, and you know, the church even uses that rhetoric and says, we all belong together. Nobody can do life alone. But then, <laughs> but then they go and they do things like this that that really alienate people. So that's, the, the contradiction of values and practice there, that is what makes me so heated because finding a community is so human and when it's weaponized against people, it's not okay. It's not okay. Um, it's really not. I cannot tell you enough how much I'm just so thankful for you speaking to this. A lot of people are afraid to talk about this or they don't want to because it's just so emotionally exhausting. It is. It really, it, it really is a traumatic experience. Religious trauma is a real thing. People seek therapy 
afford to heal the religious I have. I'll be honest. I'll be honest about that. I have talked about my own traumatic experiences in the church in therapy. And let me tell you that if that's, you might have been told that you should pray about it, or you should go talk to a Christian counselor about it, or you should go and seek help from your elders. You should just pray, read the Bible. I'm, if that's you and you hear this, I'm just urging you, please seek medical professional help because there is a huge difference. I can speak from my own experience. And if you are at San Francisco State, this is just a plug for my San Francisco people. If you're in the Bay Area, I personally, this is my experience. There are mental health resources on campus at San Francisco State. And, I'm just, and lots of different colleges offer mental health resources that are free or on a sliding scale that honestly, like, they're so beautiful. And I wish more people knew that those resources were available. If that's you, there's no shame in that. And, and it's some of the best resources and tools that have helped me work through this kind of stuff. So anyway, that's just a plug for anybody who's listening. It is free or on a sliding scale for those of you who are students or you're on a budget. So I like that, Julie. Nice call to action. Yeah. But I think the other thing, the other call to action is that like, Speaking, maybe some people have heard this phrase before. I know you have, but speaking truth to power, this is a phrase that we borrow from like activists and abolitionists of our time. So obviously I didn't come with it, but it is, it, that's an action. So speaking truth to people in power will always be powerful. Even posting about it on social media, talking about it in class, that's speaking truth to power. And that matters because I think that another big thing that really has helped me heal from this is finding the answer to these traumas that happen in community. I think the answer uh, for me, I did pull away from some time and I didn't really belong to any kind of community, but I do think that the answer also is finding a, a community that, that does live up to the values and beliefs and is empathetic and is kind. And it exists out there. Sometimes it's hard to find. There is a community of people who have gone through the same thing. That's really powerful to know that you're not alone in this experience. You don't have to feel like, and especially in an academic space, I think for a while I went through a lot of shame admitting that I was like an evangelical Christian for a while because I think that unfortunately there's a really, I don't say unfortunately, but there is maybe some generalizations that people in academia make about evangelical Christians or con people who come from a conservative background. Not even academics. There's a lot of shaming yeah. from people of all avenues of life if you yeah. say you're religious. Right. right. Yeah. Or even like I wouldn't even consider myself religious anymore at all in literally any, any context. I wasn't even when I was in grad school. When I would, there was some sort of like admission that you were duped or fooled right but that's not the case and that's also really disingenuous and it's to say that somehow because people are involved in academia or they're uh, involved in a field that involves their scholarship and work and research that they couldn't be persuaded or manipulated and that's not true that's just not true everybody's human everybody has weak spots i think you can prevent being manipulated and coerced and being getting involved in those spaces if you have the tools to recognize when they're happening and that's honestly why i'm really passionate about teaching persuasion and rhetoric to give people tools that's all you can that's all we can really do 
I do think they're powerful tools. They're really powerful tools. They're such powerful tools. I want to have you on for another episode just <laughs> to talk more about persuasion and communication and rhetoric. Yeah. I think we do have to kind of come to a close. This, yeah. Uh, We're talking for so long. I'm sorry. I talked so long. No, you this was not long enough. Ah. I want to take your class and have you for oh a semester. Oh my God. That's so kind. That's so kind. I think you've taken a public speaking class on ASIP right now. So. <laughs> if you're teaching it, I'll take it again. <laughs> and also, I know that I did interrupt you multiple times again. I apologize about that. I just get so excited about these topics. And I'm like, me. thank you for your patience with me as well, as I'm still like navigating being a podcast host. I also wanted to just say thank you again for the transparency, authenticity, openness, vulnerability. Like it is so powerful the way that you took us on a journey, right? Like from these lived experiences that you've had and then you so generously offer hope and you offer the reality that you are now dedicating your literal work to helping people be more prepared for life. And I'm imagining it's not just to help prevent us from being manipulated or persuaded or coerced by religion, Free. but also in relationships by our employers, by people we live with. These are powerful Free. tools that you're teaching. And I'm so grateful for you being dedicated to this work because I know it's not easy work. It's really complicated work because... Persu I mean, persuasion is, goes back all the way to Aristotle. It's complicated work, but it's, it's such worthy work. And it's always relevant and interesting because people will always be interested in self-serving and perpetuating systems. So it's always relevant work. I think there's this idea that was perpetuated by the church that life for people who leave the church is somehow bitter, ache, cold, lonely. And I, it's the complete opposite for me. I've, I'm so much more happier on the other side and more knowledgeable and more flexible. I feel free to do the things that I've always wanted to do without guilt and shame. And I have only been able to arrive there through having the tools that I've, that people have given to me. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't know. That's just called living in sin. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oops, did I? I'm sorry. That was inappropriate. No, you're fine. It's not. I, I don't mean, joke with, I don't joke with everyone like this, but we go back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you've, you've spoken to so many truths and your truth truly, which is powerful. And I'm deeply grateful that you're in a better place now after making that decision. And right. This is not a podcast where we're slamming people for choosing to remain in some type of faith practice hmm. but you're telling your story and this is your truth you get to feel how you're feeling and that is 100 valid and i am so grateful that you're at a better place now you're in a better place now and it's working for you yeah <laughs> so far so far Thank you so much, Jade. You're so amazing. I can't wait to hear the other guests that you have on. I just can't wait. I think it's so cool. This idea is super cool. I wish more of my, like looking back on it, I wish more of my professors and teachers would have done this. So I'm so stoked for your students to hear it and for everybody to hear it. It's awesome. Thank 
I'm also excited to share it with them. I was like, I know so many cool people. You do. That like, and you're one of them. Like, so it's like, wait, no, I don't want to just like live a life, die. Cause right. That's the only thing guaranteed in life is death. I don't want to live a life and die. And then have all of these really cool people who I've interacted with or come in contact with just like not having amplified y'all's stories. Like, I just feel like that was something within me. Yeah. God called me to do it. I'm sorry. That was inappropriate. And I do have issues I need to work out with a therapist about. I think he did. My religious trauma. All of you. Whoa. (laughs) I'm not going to apologize for that because my religious trauma is valid. And I use humor to heal. I do too. How are you healing? But like in this specific episode, I'm cool with it. I'm super down for it. But yeah, I, I think there's. Like now I can I look back you. on it and what was that? Did I trigger you with that joke? No, not at all. Like one hundred percent. I can't tell you. Sometimes I look back and I think to myself, like, I really genuinely was convincing myself that God told me to do something when it was just me. It was just me. Just trying to like so many ridiculous things. We used to do this thing. Those are my offensive people, but we used to do this thing called in my little like girls group that I had called quote-unquote treasure hunting where we would get together and like pray uh on tuesday night and pray like god give us this <laughs> honestly so funny because anyway we'd be like god give us the sign for who you want us to pray for what are they wearing and someone would say like i feel like they're wearing an orange sweater and we'd go out to target or get dinner and like if we saw someone with an orange sweater we'd be like god told us that we had to pray for you so gross <laughs> so like when i think back on those things i'm like that was ridiculous it's so embarrassing that and like m- just general mysticism i know oh, like so okay so you really we're cool with and comfortable with doing this but anybody who's seeking like spirituality through like the other methods are crazy yeah wrong not true it was, I, when I think back on it, I'm super embarrassed about it. <laughs> but it's hilarious. It's hilarious to think now because sometimes I think like one of these days, the circle is going to complete itself and there's going to be a group of people who walk up to me and be like, I told us to pray for you. And I'm just going to be like, well, God told me that you all need to just be cool and stop being weird. It's okay to have sex before you're married and go to drugs and have fun. Like something wild. And you know what I mean? I haven't had any, but like, Holy, I feel like a lot of people secretly are happy that you said that because you're, and I know that you would be in real life just. Yeah, I know. Self, in reality, like, yeah, I'd probably be like, no thanks. We rather have room to use humor to heal or whatever healing yeah. mechanism we use. And I love that you can also just relate in the way that humor kind of becomes. Yeah. You know, it's really, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. I am going to stop recording no. now. Thanks. That's okay. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Please listen to Jade. Yeah. Please listen to Jade's other episodes and keep listening and follow her Instagram and everything. All of that. I did not, I did not use persuasion to do that. No, that's genuinely coming from my heart. I promise. I love you so much. Everybody, 
Thank you again so much, Julie. And how can people get a hold of you if they want to take your class, if they want to learn more from you, if they want to sure. contact you? Yeah, I do teach at a community college here in Virginia. It's uh, Piedmont, Virginia Community College right now. So unless you're kind of in the area or you want to take an online class and that's available, that's really kind of the only way right now to take a class with me. But who knows in your future? Maybe that'll spin. Anyway, if you want to follow me on social media, my handle is just my name. So it's Julie Olive, but there's two E's at the end. So if you want to follow me, you totally can. I tend to post about stuff like this all the time, but I'm also, this is just my personal Instagram. So if you want to do that, I'm totally fine with it. Completely fine. I trust any and all people who would want to listen to your podcast. So. Well, that, uh, we don't know who else is going to be on yet. That's true. <laughs> I think that, well, let me just say as a general rule, I would. But, you know, if you, start, if you start acting a fool with me, I'll just block you. It's, you know, one of those yeah. things. I yeah. doubt that would happen, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that just my very existence already kind of puts me in a separate category mm -hmm. that, like, only certain people would even listen to me. Just like... <laughs> We're already working with some liberal, open-minded people. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm super grateful for you.